Today's episode is brought to you by the laws of robotics. First, a robot may not injure a human being, or, through inaction, allow a human being to come to harm. Second, a robot must obey the orders given to it by human beings, except where such orders would conflict with the first law. Third, a robot must protect its own existence, as long as such protection does not conflict with the first or second law. We're going to bring up these laws exactly as long as it takes to make a point that they're being ignored in 1995's Mega Man 7, The Showdown of Destiny, on today's episode of What Am I Podcasting For? Hello, and welcome to What Am I Podcasting For? My name is Garlisle, and this show is the chronicle of my attempts to play through the entire Mega Man series, from Mega Man 1 to Mega Man 11, and as many of the 100-plus games in between as I can manage. And while you would think that we're already on Mega Man 7 means that we're pretty close to done, ha ha ha, no we're not. I've actually got a lot of notes for this game because there's a surprising amount to talk about in this game. For the fact that it is a classic series game and you would expect it to just be a successor to the NES formula and rehashing a lot of the same stuff, and to be fair it sort of does, there's a lot of things that Mega Man 7 did that are just a little bit different or remarkable or worth exploring, and I mean a lot of things. It is worth noting we are now on the SNES. We have left behind the NES, and that means we now have access to the full SNES controller. For the most part, we are still just using two buttons to jump and shoot. We did carry over from the X series the ability to use L and R to switch between our different weapons during a stage, which, really glad that hung out. But X was not the only series that ended up inspiring Mega Man 7's functionality and options. Quite a bit of stuff from the Mega Man World games actually made its way back into the main series at this point. While we don't collect P-chips so much as we collect little bolts, we do actually have a whole shopping system in this game now, including a large mechanic robot by the name of Otto, who acts as our shopkeeper and assistant to Dr. Light. We get a little bit more in the way of cutscenes. It's still all running in-engine cutscenes instead of like cinematic art shots that World 4 and World 5 played around with, but there's definitely more use of cutscenes in this game than there was in the previous six NES titles. As far as Mega Man's basic capabilities, it's roughly the same as usual. The big thing that changed in Mega Man 7 compared to previous games is that the Mega Buster kind of sucks in this one. Regular shots are about the same as normal, but charge shots for all the time that it takes to charge them up in this game only do two damage. The game is nice enough to allow you to charge up while being struck, but the fact that the damage is drastically reduced, and enemies in this game tend to have a little bit more health, more like an X1 enemy in general, means that the X-Buster alone isn't going to be quite as valuable a weapon. Another thing that I overall noticed about this game has to do with the way that the levels were designed. It's worth noting, when we moved over to the X-Series, the X-Series introduced things like sloped ground, like just large wide open areas where you could travel in all four directions. Like, some stages in the X games literally don't have like a screen transition border where you reach the end of the stage and then it slides over to reveal the next room. No, some of them are literally just large open stretches. And they dropped those advancements for 7 specifically to keep it feeling like it's a classic Mega Man game. 
There is a couple rooms in the game that are deliberately and specifically exceptions to that, but it's extremely rare in comparison to, like, the more free-flowing design that the X Games at least tried to appear to have. Anyway, where we last left our hero, after the events of Mega Man 6, Dr. Wily was actually caught and put in jail, but he always knew someday he might end up in trouble, and it wouldn't be Dr. Wily if he didn't have a backup plan. Somewhere in a forgotten lab somewhere he built, some robot masters wake up and realize their master's nowhere to be found, so they fly off to the city jail and bust Dr. Wily out. We begin the game with something that was definitely inspired by Mega Man X, because we have a tutorial stage to do, in which Mega Man is hurrying to the scene of a disaster as the robots are attacking the city and busy busting Dr. Wily out of jail in the background, and true to Mega Man X's form, we use this as essentially our tutorial stage, an opportunity to get a handle on the controls. Nothing too dangerous, there isn't even like a single pit to fall down or anything like that, it's just a handful of enemies, a couple characters you encounter, and then at the end we fight Vile. Wait, no, sorry, that's X. Then at the end, we fight base. Let's, let's back up for a moment. Who the hell is Base, you're probably wondering, unless you know Mega Man. Base is a robot with a very... Listen, I'll put it this way. X definitely went for, hey, we want the series to be a little bit more awesome and edgy. And Base is one of the ways that that leaks back into Mega Man in this game. He is a dark paletted, like, black and oranges kind of design similar to Mega Man, although his helmet has, like, sharp fins to it and stuff. And our initial encounter with him basically has him attacking us out of nowhere. Win or lose, it really doesn't matter what you do. Eventually, the two of them will stop fighting, and Mega Man's like, okay, who who the heck are you? The robot introduces himself as base, as somebody else who's been fighting against Dr. Wily, and he didn't think we were actually on his side. He's kind of suspicious of us still, and so he's off to go fight Dr. Wily on his own, and we're like, okay, well that was weird. We jump back to Dr. Light's lab and tackle our first four Robot Masters. I specify first four Robot Masters because, again, this is the world mechanics leaking in. Mega Man 7 is the only main-numbered classic Mega Man game, unless I'm forgetting one. It's the only one where you only have four stages to select from at first. From this menu, we can also access our shop. Unfortunately, the energy balancer isn't anywhere to be found yet. We'll come back to that. But we can still pick up extra lives, energy tanks. We can pick up Beat, the bird, who, rather than being a usable weapon in this game, is basically like a extra life specifically for pits. If you fall into a pit and have a stock of Beat the Bird to spare, Beat will actually fly down and lift you out of the pit, and you'll have a few seconds to reposition yourself, essentially saving you from a death by falling in a pit, which is actually kind of nice. The one permanent upgrade that we can purchase at the shop right now is the exit device, which lets us leave a stage if we've already beaten the stage and we're back in it, um, that's a feature that they added to the Mega Man X games that you could just do. I'm not fond of the fact that you have to buy it. Anyway, we have a whole bunch of stages to get to, and we should start by talking about, I guess, I don't know, Cloud Man stage. Cloud Man stage. 
Cloudman stage kicks us off with something that feels very, very familiar. It feels very Airman, like the enemy design during the stage and just like the general set pieces. It really does look like what if Airman had been a boss in this era instead of the NES era. But what's really notable about Cloudman's stage is that it delivers on something that X2 tried to do, which was the weather control thing. If you remember Wire Sponge's stage in X2, it had this weather gimmick where shooting orbs with certain weapons would change the weather, but that didn't affect the stage in any significantly meaningful way. In Cloudman's stage, this actually drastically changes the physics of the stage. It can make jumping around harder or easier if we heat up the stage. There's also a section where our visibility is going to be limited by the rain, but if we turn that to snow by using Freeze Man's weapon, we can actually reveal the platforms because the snow builds up on the platforms and it's very, very easy to see them. And if we do this, it also makes it very, very easy to see a hidden path and section of the stage, which allows us to collect one of the letters in the word Rush. Each of these first four stages do have one of the four letters. If we collect all four of them, we will get access to the Rush Adapter. The Rush Adapter is essentially Mega Man 6's jet adapter. It functions a little differently. We don't have quite the aerial control that the jet adapter gave us, but we're able to jump around, still attack, we get like extra jets on our back for an extra jump, essentially, and borrowing from World 5, our charge shot becomes the Mega Arm. Uh, I guess it's called like the Rocket Punch or something in this one, but it's functionally the Mega Arm from World 5. But just like the Jet Adapter in Mega Man 6, we have infinite uses of this thing. The biggest disadvantage to it is the fact that we can't use other weapons simultaneous to it, and we can't slide without unequipping it, but that, that only matters once or twice. As for the boss himself, Cloudman ditches the traditional Mega Man NES limitation of a single-room boss arena, and instead gives us a long stage with pits at either end and kinda acts like Storm Eagle. He can create little storms to try to blow us around, he can channel bolts of lightning to throw at us. Mostly, Cloudman is extremely simple and straightforward, and he's got a very, very fixed pattern to begin with. But speaking of fixed pattern, I want to tackle this now as well. Mega Man 7, most of its robot masters are not that great of fights. And the reason for that isn't just in predictability, because many of them are actually very predictable, but rather the way that weakness weapons work in Mega Man 7. If we take Cloud Man's weakness and use it against him, it will play this whole like fancy animation where he gets trapped in a bubble, it pops, he loses the cloud, he falls down on the ground and takes damage, and then he reforms it and he floats back up. This is very fun to look at. It makes it very, very clear, hey, you are hitting with the weakness weapon, but also, first off, the invincibility frames from doing this last like three times as long. Like, it is telling that the amount that this slows down the fights is significant enough that the speedruns of this game actually use other weapons to defeat the bosses than their weaknesses. They're actually that slow. But also, almost every single one of these bosses, when struck with their weakness weapon, will go into a specific predictable attack immediately afterwards. Which means when you are using a weakness weapon, you aren't just dealing a ton of damage, you're also making the boss fight way simpler. Like, it definitely feels somewhat satisfying the first time that you do this, and it's very clear, like, okay, I have found the weakness. But it also simplifies many of these bosses down to being kind of trivial, and there's only a couple exceptions in this game, and it's very unfortunate. But, moving on from that, 
we can head over to Freeze Man stage, where of course we get ice physics and some decent little platforming gimmicks like crumbling platforms or a room where we have to get enemies to drop icicles onto spikes and then cross over those icicles. Some of the jumps in this stage are actually kind of precise, especially for the fact that you're on slippery terrain and it's hard to know exactly when to time your jumps. One thing we can find that's optional in this stage is the Rush search functionality, which is a new form for Rush where we call him down and he digs in the ground and maybe digs up something. Maybe it's something useful like a bit of weapon energy or some health or a one-up, or maybe it's just like a tin can or an action figure. <laughs> for the most part, Rush search is incredibly slow and is kind of like a fallback for hey i am completely stuck on this stage i just need something i can spend the time and wait the real functionality of the rush search though is very well hidden in that if you use the rush search in very specific locations and i mean very small radius chance of actually hitting the spot and no real warning that these spots are anything special at all you just have to know about them but if we use the rush search in certain locations we can actually get rush to dig up the power-ups that we would normally be buying which really good idea to do that some of them are very, very expensive, and it is not quick to farm for the bolts that act as your currency in this game. You don't get nearly as many of them as I think you got in the world games. As for Freeze Man himself, he is one of the exception bosses. Freeze Man fights almost a lot more like an ex-boss. He's very active, he jumps around the arena a bunch, he can freeze the floor, which if you're standing on it, You'll get frozen to the floor and have to mash out. He can freeze the ceiling and cause icicles to drop down on you. He is actually also entirely reactive to your inputs as opposed to like a fixed pattern. And unlike the other bosses, if you hit him with his weakness, I don't think he gets trapped in a loop either. As long as you can like develop emotion and get used to the dance with him, it's not that bad, but he's definitely not a trivial boss. Next up, we head to Junkman, which feels like Dustman Stage 2.0, in that, yeah, it's a junkyard stage. Partway through, we do get some magma added to the stage. If we hit it with Freeze Man's weapon, we can actually disable it and break it apart, and then through that we'll find a hidden area where we find the hidden rush letter and get to shortcut through some of the stage. If you don't go that way, then there's a whole different part of the stage where we can actually use Cloudman's weapon to turn on disused generators, and this will actively change the stage around and let us do stuff like access the rush jet. It's generally a fairly interesting stage, and the fact that it actually has like a branch that you eventually want to go down both branches of is kind of neat. Junkman himself is a tall, lanky bot that really does look like he's just built out of junk. He can throw exploding clusters of trash, generate a giant cube that he launches at you, dive into the trash heap at your feet, and try to jump out at you drillman style. He can also throw like a shield of like spiraling junk at you that if it hits you you have to mash to get out of it that's another thing this game did is there's a lot of like status effects kind of special effects that you respond to by basically mashing the buttons which sounds like fun but sometimes like there is no delayed input period after you've been mashing the button a bunch so if you're using any sort of special weapon you'll probably end up burning some ammo as you bust out 
But it's still an interesting use of the fact that they can do a lot more visually and have a lot more difference in, like, Mega Man's appearance and sprites and stuff. Burst Man, which is a weirdly science lab stage where there's, like, giant test tubes and beakers in the background and a bunch of science-y goop that turns it into an underwater stage partway through. And then the rules of that underwater stuff changes where it makes Mega Man float instead of just making him low gravity and stuff. There isn't really much hidden in this stage, especially compared to the other stages. It's just a stage with a bunch of different variants of this like physics affecting goop in it. Burstman himself is a little bit tricky. He fires bombs encased in bubbles. If you burst those bubbles, the bombs will drop on the ground. If the bubbles themselves hit you, however, they'll drop the bomb behind, catch you, and try to drag you up to the ceiling, and you have to very, very quickly bust open the bubble because the ceiling is spikes. It's not necessarily a very difficult fight, especially since you can do this kind of like flinch him and make him repeat his pattern stuff just with your charge shot, but it does result in a surprisingly tense fight just because there is always that looming threat of death over your head. Once we complete the first four stages, we get a middle stage. Kind of like the filler mid-ground fortress stages in the world games again. And this stage we're at a robot museum and we get treated to a medley of older stage themes as a background track. through this museum and we get to see like cool 16-bit modern renditions of many of the old robot masters and then we find that dr wiley is busy literally in the process of stealing guts man but just in case you thought we were going to get to fight guts man uh no he drops down this clown robot to act as a minor boss which honestly isn't super remarkable it's incredibly basic and the only like gimmick to it is that whenever you shoot its head its head flies off and the body will like jump around looking for the head and you can just wail on the head in that time it's it's just kind of there plus like the whole stage itself is just like a quick 15 second sightseeing tour and then a boss fight there isn't any enemies or platforming to do during it it probably could have been cut to be honest anyway this is where we finally get access to our second set of robot masters where we'll start with the worst of them slash man and by the worst i don't mean like he's bad i mean he's tough we'll get into that Slashman goes for a more beastly aesthetic, and his stage goes for, well, it's Jurassic Park. You get to ride around on the back of robotic raptors and get chased by a giant robot T-Rex that you have to kill, and all that kind of ridiculous stuff. There's even, like, dino eggs that hatch into little baby robot dino. Why Why would it, robot babies need eggs? Like, what? The secret of this stage is towards the end of the stage, if you use Turbo Man's weapon, which is fire-based, you will be able to actually set part of the forest on fire. And aside from this dealing with certain potentially troublesome enemies really easy, we can reveal a secret ladder that leads us to a room where Beat's actually been captured. And freeing Beat allows us to have more of him in stock and immediately maxes out our stock of him, which is generally really nice and convenient. Slashman himself is probably one of the more difficult robot masters we've ever faced. 
he spends most of his time jumping roughly at your location or in front of you, and if he lands and you're within a certain range, he'll do a slash, which will also cut through various attacks that you're trying to hit him with. The main thing that makes Slash Man very, very dangerous is every once in a while, he'll decide to just, like, bounce himself up into the corners of the room out of sight and start dropping down these little random dino eggs, and if the dino eggs land directly on you, you literally can't do anything until he hits you or you manage to avoid him for a ridiculously long time. But also, even if those eggs miss, they're going to leave sticky spots on the floor, which will make you an easy target as he slides down the wall and does a direct dive at you. Like, this shouldn't be all that hard of a fight, technically, when he's not doing the egg bombing you from above. It's not all that hard to dodge him and keep him under control. The thing is, you have extremely little time to dodge these eggs while that is going on, and they are completely random. You can never predict when they are going to be trying to hit you or not. I don't know if I've ever brought this up, but in this podcast, I always do my first round of bosses using the buster only. I save using the weapons for once I hit the fortresses at the end of the game. And this fight was tough with the buster, but it's also tough without the buster and with his actual weakness to the freeze cracker, because the thing that you will always loop him into doing is that goddamn dino egg attack. <sighs> anyway, Slashman is just genuinely a difficult boss. On the complete flip side, let's go play around in the bouncy castle that is Springman stage. Yes, they made a robot master out of springs, and it is one of the goofiest robot master designs in the series. I'm kind of okay with it because they reflected that in his stage as well. There's springs on the floor, there's springs on the ceiling, there's springs on the walls, there's jack-in-the-box punching gloves, there's just all kinds of silly stuff like that. If we actually take advantage of one of these jack-in-the-box punching gloves to bust open a wall at one point, we can find a mysterious giant bolt. If we bring this back to Otto at his shop, he uses it to upgrade himself, and then he becomes able to make a ton of additional items. Everything that was already in his shop gets cut down to half price, which is great. He can make you the Rush Jet or the Rush Search if you didn't find them. He can also make you the Energy Balancer, though it is less important in this game than previous games, so I'll get into why. He can also make you the upgrade for the Mega Arm on your Jet Adapter called the Rocket Buster, which makes your attack go from roughly almost being a melee weapon to actually being able to fly across the screen. But the Rocket Buster costs 800 bolts to make. You absolutely want to find the spot, I think it's in Turbo Man stage, that you can use the Rush Search to just dig it up instead, because oof. I think over an entire playthrough, I maybe got a grand total of 400, maybe 500 bolts. You would have to do some serious farming to afford it. Anyway, Springman himself, at the end of the stage, very easy to deal with. He jumps around a bunch, surprise, throws out his extending spring fists at you. The main trick is that he will fire off a couple bouncing projectiles that will just continue to bounce around the room throughout the fight. You can destroy them, but if you destroy both of them, Springman will just create new one. That said, destroy just one and Springman becomes extremely predictable and easy, even without his weakness weapon. Next, we're going to go hang out in Shademan stage, which has one of my favorite little Easter eggs, which is that if you hold the B button when you select this stage, instead of the traditional Robot Master da-da-da-da-da boss preview, you'll hear a little bit of a different tune, and then when you get into the stage, you'll be hearing a Mega Man 7 sound font version of the theme of Capcom's classic Ghosts and Goblins. 
Now, Shademan's stage is full of really cool little details. The stage opening starts with, like, a cinematic look at, like, the moon getting covered up by clouds in the distance before we get control. We get a ton of enemies that fit, like, this Dracula horror aesthetic, like zombies popping out of the ground and the heads off suits of armors jumping out at us. Halfway through the stage, there's a mini-boss that is a pumpkin thing that swaps between kind of two forms. And based on which form you kill this in, we'll actually change what route we take through the stage, because it will bust open two different eggs exits to the room when it dies. And each of these, in turn, has its own little gimmicks. On one of these paths, there's a spot where we can go through a wall and we can find Proto-Man. Now, I should specify, this isn't the first time we were able to find Proto-Man in this game. He actually appears in a couple different stages in, like, out-of-the-way rooms, and he delivers a message which is generally a tip, like, hey, have you considered using this weapon in this kind of area? If we found all of Proto-Man's locations, and we visit him in this room in Shade-Man stage, he will actually challenge us to a fight. He's fairly straightforward. He's definitely gained a new trick or two, including his own Charge Buster, compared to, say, his appearance back when he went under the name of Breakman. But when we defeat Proto-Man, he actually goes like, huh, maybe you are the superior one here, brother. Why don't you take this? And he throws us his Proto-Shield, and we get the Proto-Shield as a weapon. It sucks. I'll just save you the trouble right now. It's pretty much the worst one in the game. I swear to God, this shield doesn't actually block anything. Partially because if you were doing anything other than literally just standing there, the shield is not up. You can use your Mega Buster, but you can't even charge it while the shield's around. I don't think you can slide, and the shield doesn't even block most things that you would like it to block. <sighs> Also making an appearance in this stage, towards the end of it, we run into Base again. Base is all damaged and stuff, and being tended to by his own canine robot partner, Treble, who basically, if Base is a black, edgy Mega Man, Treble is a dark, purple, edgy Rush. But apparently Base lost the fight to Shade Man, and Mega Man's like, hey, why don't you, why don't you come back to Dr. Light's lab, and he'll fix you up, and Base is like, okay, I kind of need the help right now. And then we get to fight Shade Man himself. Shade Man is very much a Dracula-inspired boss, but he's not going to go all Castlevania and start teleporting around at us. Mostly he hides up at the top of the stage and does like swoops down to try to grab us and suck our blood, which again, we have to mash out of. This game is very fond of that. He has a couple different projectiles he can shoot, including like sonic waves and petrifying eye beams because vampire. Sounds like a really neat fight is actually kind of a very slow and predictable fight, unfortunately. Finally, we get Turbo Man, a stage that has just a ton of weird little gimmicks that I don't think reappear anywhere else in the series. We get chased by giant, like, bulldozer bots that we have to destroy as we run away from them. There's a section where we land on a truck and we have to, like, destroy the truck while we're on it. There's, like, bouncy tires being carried across the ceiling of the stage that we have to timer jumps between so they don't, like, bounce us downwards into spikes. Oh, right, and there's Quickman lasers in this stage. And I think I remember mentioning this at the time in Mega Man 2. Unlike the original Quickman lasers, this section is one smooth descent. There is no, like, pausing to scroll on the next section before we get to see what we have to actually dodge. Fortunately, the firing rate of these lasers is not particularly quick. It's actually quite paced out. 
So it's not as bad as it could have been. It's a warning of things to come that they were like, hey, let's bring back the Quick Man lasers. Because this is far from the last time we're going to see them. Turbo Man himself only has like a couple different attacks, including throwing flames at us, which... Again, status effects, we have to mash out of it when we get set on fire. The trick is is that the longer we take the mash out of being set on fire, the more damage we take. He can like try to draw us in with some kind of power I don't understand. Or he can just like transform himself into a Formula One racer and try to drive into us, and we have to use like an audio cue to time when to jump. The trick for Turbo Man is that his attacks are very, very simple, and they are best dodged by being close to him. But if you are close to him, you are likely to get tripped up and have very little time to react if he tries to draw you in. It's not really that hard, though. He is a fairly simple boss. But simple does not describe the armada of weapons we have picked up in this game. So I want to know, first off, this game has a lot of different weapons to use. Of course, we have picked up Rush Coil, Classic Rush Jet, Rush Search. We have the Rush Adapter and the proto shield as like non-weapon energy gauge forms, but we do still have on top of that a traditional Robot Master weapons to look at. Unlike some of the previous games, which gave us direct visual demonstrations of these weapons when we get them, instead we tend to get Mega Man and Dr. Light talking about the functionality of the weapon, which sometimes actually is a good thing. Cloud Man's Thunderbolt explicitly mentions in the conversation, you could use this to power up old machinery, and that's important for finding stuff in Junkman stage. Mostly, though, it doesn't communicate important parts of these weapons very well, and honestly, is less impactful than just seeing it in action. As for the actual quality of the weapon set, a couple of the weapons in this game don't feel so great, but overall I think this is a very solid weapon set. So, as usual, starting from the worst, we have Springman's Wild Coil. This fires two bouncing projectiles, one on each side of you. If you charge up the shot for a little bit, because this one can be charged, these shots will get bigger and they can have higher bounces. The main thing is, first off, the damage on this weapon isn't great. Second off, having to charge it to hit high up enemies also isn't that great. Third off, it's very rare in this game you actually get surrounded and need the ability to fire both in front and behind you at the same time. It just doesn't really happen much. And you can't fire another wild coil until both of them have hit a wall or an enemy or gone off screen or something. So for the most part, the fires in both direction nature of this weapon actually just makes it worse. The Scorch Wheel is also somewhat unimpressive. It's a mostly ground-based weapon that kind of like the spin wheel in X2 has some momentum to it and can cross over gaps and stuff as opposed to being strictly rooted to the ground. Unfortunately, I don't think this weapon is particularly impactful. It has like an awkward startup delay on it and it just doesn't have a whole lot of power to it. There is a couple stage gimmicks that respond to it, like Shade Man stage has some candles you can light up in one section using it, but as a general purpose weapon, not so great reasonably usable but still not amazing, is the Freeze Cracker. This weapon gives us six directional firing. We can't fire directly above or below ourselves, but we can adjust ourselves diagonally. Striking any sort of like wall or anything, it splits into multiple directions like many similar weapons. 
the main value of this weapon is on the fact that it is aimable in multiple directions easily, which gives it some pretty good coverage. Unfortunately, it's also not a particularly quick weapon, and it's not a particularly strong weapon either. Even the weakest enemies tend to require two to three hits with this thing in order to take them down, at which point you start feeling like, uh, couldn't I have just used something else? The Danger Wrap is next from Burst Man. This is a very, very interesting weapon. It fires a bomb in a bubble. Based on, like, if you are holding a direction and stuff, the exact trajectory of this bubble as it floats upward will change some. And when it catches an enemy, it will either do some damage directly to them, or if they're small enough, actually catch the enemy inside the bubble. If an enemy gets caught in a bubble, you can just run into the bubble and send the enemy and the bomb and the whole package flying into another enemy, which is kind of fun and creative. If you press down while using this ability, you can skip the bubble entirely and just leave a landmine behind for enemies to run into. It's a gimmicky, versatile weapon, but I don't tend to think of it as particularly strong. As cool in concept as this weapon is, I'm just not really sold on it as much more than just a gimmick. It's okay. Stepping things up from that is the Slash Claw. And to be fair, the Slash Claw isn't anything necessarily amazing either. As the name suggests, it is just a short-range slash, which does have like an aftershock effect when it contacts something, and that aftershock can actually continue to deal extra damage, which actually makes the Slash Claw a fairly powerful weapon. One use is enough to kill most enemies, maybe two at worst. So for all of its simplicity, I actually found myself using the Slash Claw quite a bit. The Noise Crush can be thought of as basically kind of an upgraded Mega Buster. It's a little stronger than the Mega Buster by default. However, if the projectile is caught by Mega Man, either because it bounces off of a wall and comes back and you catch it, or you fire it and you slide, in which case you move faster than the projectile and catch it, which I think is probably an oversight. You can essentially charge it up that way, and then it's like a big wide charged Mega Buster shot that will deal pretty noticeable damage. Thanks to the fact that the Mega Buster kind of sucks in this game, having an upgrade that does run on an ammo system can be kind of nice. This is also one of the few weapons that you can literally just spam if you get right up into an enemy's face, which can be advantageous too, because all the others have like startup timers or like projectiles that break off and you have to wait for them to leave the screen. The Noise Crush you can just spam, and it lets you kill things really, really quickly. It just can eat its ammo really fast. The Thunderbolt is fairly unassuming. It's a large forward projectile that, on hitting an enemy, also splits into a projectile that fires up and down. And the reason I actually like this one is that those split projectiles, in many cases in this game, will also strike that enemy. Enemies are fairly big and bulky in this game. This double tap effect actually gives the Thunderbolt a really large amount of power. It isn't as spammable as the Noise Crush is, but I found in most cases I could just kill enemies straight up by hitting them in the face with a well-timed Thunderbolt. Simple, effective, decently powerful, but the actual best weapon in this game might be one of the craziest weapons in the entire Mega Man series, and it's the Junk Shield. Now, we've already had shields be some of my favorite weapons in the past for being able to trivialize platforming, so what if I told you that this shield sticks around between rooms and also delivers multiple hits to enemies before it actually breaks? This is not the sort of thing where, like, 
an enemy has too many hit points and all of a sudden the shield is useless. No, this shield will actually tear through certain enemies that have a ton of HP because it will just deliver hit after hit after hit after hit. Only enemies that actively deflect this weapon are safe from this weapon. It demolishes everything else. It is ammo efficient to summon it up because of how much damage it does per use. And hell, if you really want to, you can press the button again to like scatter the projectiles in the shield. You don't need to do that. Anything that gets close to you while the junk shield is active will explode. The only problem with the junk shield is that while it's active, you get a really high-pitched, constant whining noise. But my point is, the junk shield is one of the most insanely good weapons we have seen to date. Anyway, after the cutscene where we get our 8th Robot Master weapon, we teleport out of Dr. Light's lab, and then immediately teleport back in, and all of a sudden everything is trashed. Turns out, after Dr. Light was busy treating Base, Base went a little bit berserk and maybe stole some of the tech that Dr. Light was developing for Mega Man. Oops. And while we're wondering why he would do this, Dr. Wiley sends us a message to be all like, <laughs> You dumb idiots. I built base. What the f*** did you think? He's basically evil Mega Man. Come on. And then we get to go challenge Dr. Wiley's fortress. And oh boy, is it going to be a challenge. So, I'm going to put this out here. This is the most difficult fortress we've seen in quite a long time. In fact, this might be more difficult than the X1 and 2 Sigma fortresses, when the X games are supposed to be very difficult games. There's a couple different reasons for this. One reason that you might expect that isn't the case, though, is that this time, much like in the world games, kind of sort of, we're returning to the robot select screen between every single stage, which means we have the opportunity to shop and refill on extremely cheap E-tanks, plus, free of charge, our weapons will get refilled between stages. You go into every stage in Dr. Wily's Fortress with full energy, which is why the energy balancer isn't so necessary in this game. But all of that is to deal with the fact that, holy crap, is this a fortress. Stage 1 has the single most terrifying stage gimmick of all time, conceptually, which is those platforms from the original Gutsman stage, where when they cross over certain parts of the rail, they stop functioning as platforms. Except when you jump onto these platforms, the entire stage goes dark, and you can no longer see the rails in the background. <laughs> it's not nearly as bad as I make it sound in practice, but... That is a gimmick that could have just been, like, nightmarish. Let's just say I was quite eager to break out the rush jet for this stage. The actual part that makes this stage tough is that it has two bosses. First, we have to deal with a duel with base. And base is kind of like fighting yourself. He jumps around constantly, he fires single shots, and occasionally you'll see him start to charge up, and then the next time he lands, he'll fire, like, a larger shot to dodge. Now, you might be thinking, oh, cool, I'll just actually break out the proto-shield. Again, the proto-shield doesn't work on anything you actually want it to, even though it would have been perfect thematically for this, given how much base kind of resembles the old Proto-Man fights, but he's a lot less predictable in his movement, he is a lot more aggressive in general, which makes him much more difficult, and also nothing really does, like, a huge amount of damage to him either, so oof. And after we beat him, we have, like, a boss hallway, and then we have Gutsman Plus. This is Gutsman who's been upgraded with a set of tank treads and a big claw arm and some new moves, 
including trying to tackle us into the wall and grab us so he can throw us into the ceiling, which, by the way, I don't know what they were thinking. Did they seriously expect us to switch to the rush jet or the adapter every time he starts up this attack? Because you can't actually jump over him or avoid this attack if he does it. One attack that he does do that's actually really neat is he'll summon down this, like, giant rock cube and then tackle it to launch it into you. And yeah, you can just, like, jump over it. But also, if you hit it with the slash claw, you actually knock it back into him. The really hard part of this is just that it's almost back-to-back -back with the base fight. Yes, if you make it through base, you get the checkpoint before Gutsman Plus, but Gutsman is not easy either. He is genuinely difficult and extremely hard to avoid damage against. So long story short, as you're going to find out with a lot of these stages, I was really glad that E-Tanks are some of the cheapest items in this game. Stage 2 keeps up the tradition. The platforming is fairly simple and doesn't really do anything all that new or interesting, but again, towards the end of it, we have to fight base. This time, though, instead of fighting us on foot, he's used the tech he has stolen from Dr. Wily to actually do the same thing we do with Rush, and he basically uses the treble adapter to get a super form, where now he can fly around the stage. The gravity is reduced in this section, so we can chase him around this vertical platforming area and fight him and stuff if we want. Or, his weakness is actually the mega arm if we want to transform ourselves using the rush adapter and kind of have this, like, honestly kind of awesome duel. Like, I love the fact that I came into this saying base is like edgy Mega Man in some ways. He's a new rival to replace Proto man who's gotten friendly. So his ability set basically is a mirror of our basic capabilities, the things that we can do. And I love that that's how his boss fight was designed. Speaking of which, I'll cover this now before I forget, Mega Man 7 has a password that if you enter it, actually enables a two-player versus mode where one of you plays as Mega Man and one of you plays as base. That's neato. <laughs> it's just a small gimmick mode. There isn't major meat to it or anything like that but it's cool that it's there. Fortunately, after a very difficult base fight, we do have to deal with a fairly easy boss, but a fairly slow one in a giant turtle robot. It has only a couple different attacks and makes itself vulnerable in between attacks, such as curling up in its shell and trying to rocket itself into the wall and you have to slide under it, or like flying away and leaving behind a little base that dispenses little turtle robots that are easy to deal with. Mostly this fight is really, really easy and it's just slow. Stage 3 is a pretty standard stage. It has a couple branching paths in it, including a Yoku block section that would be an absolute nightmare if not for the fact that we have the rush jet. The boss is a giant, like, Japanese Oni mask thing that chases you along a hallway. It has a few different projectiles and kind of feels like an old-school Wily machine in many ways, but it's somewhat easier to dodge. The hard part of this fight is actually the fact that the missiles that it fires at you, which absolutely look like they would damage you, and do, will not damage you if you jump directly on top of them, in which case they'll act as platforms, and it's kind of badly communicated. Once you figure that out, there's no randomness to this dude's attacks, and it makes it pretty easy. Stage 4 marks our final stage, and as you expect, it's a boss gauntlet, and then it's time to fight the Wily Machine. This one is big and slow and stompy, and we have to, like, slide under it. Occasionally, it'll actually go extra slow, but fire off a couple small enemies that have a ton of HP. Very simple Wily Machine fight. But then we get the hell that is Wily Capsule 7.
Okay, there is some general agreement that this might be one of the hardest final bosses in the franchise. If not at least hardest final bosses in classic Mega Man. And it's not like it has, like, massively complicated movement patterns or anything like that. It's the Wily capsule. It teleports in, fires projectiles, teleports out. The hard part is in the way those projectiles move. It fires four projectiles in the diagonals. Those projectiles will move a bit towards you, stop, and then redirect themselves at your new location and fire the rest of the way. And relative to, like, the size of the Wily machine that spawns them and their initial spacing and just the general screen real estate, it is extremely difficult to find the motions that will allow you to not get hit by this attack. It is the simplest attack in the world. It's just about the only thing he does, other than occasionally fire a couple slow-moving electric pulses along the ground too, but it is extremely hard to not take damage every time this machine appears, and he will deal more damage to you every time he appears than you will deal to him unless you get this down. And it's especially bad because some of the orbs can set you on fire, which you need to mash out of, and some of them can freeze you, which leaves you open to that electric follow-up attack to take even more damage. Yes, it is possible to avoid him, but man, it gets to the point where you want to deliberately slam your face into the projectiles that aren't going to cause status effects, because they aren't going to cause status effects. They're just going to deal a flat amount of damage, and you can keep that under control. Tanking this and just eating a bunch of E-Tanks is the sanest way to go about this fight. If you want to win this without using an E-Tank, good hacking luck. Anyway, finally, finally, we shoot down the Wily capsule, and Wily falls out, and we get our ending. Wily starts begging for mercy as his tradition. Mega Man points his buster at Dr. Wily and starts charging up, saying that he's going to do what he should have done years ago. Wily gets a look of genuine fear on his face and starts backing away, being like, wait, robots can't kill humans. The laws of robotics that I mentioned at the start of the episode, this has been established as a thing that's part of Mega Man canon, because it was referenced in X1. Mega Man X is different for the fact that he specifically was not bound by the laws of robotics. He truly had free decision, free will, implying that Mega Man doesn't. But when Wily says that, hey, the laws of robotics should be stopping Mega Man, Mega Man does stop his charge, and then points his gun again and says, I am more than a robot. Die, Wily. But before he can actually put an abrupt end to the Mega Man timeline, Wily's fortress naturally starts collapsing, Wily gets buried under some rubble, and base teleports down, grabs Dr. Wily, and teleports out with him. But, you know, not before mocking Mega Man for his hesitation. Mega Man runs out of the fortress, and we get our final robot roll call, as I kid you not, Mega Man walks away from the burning wreckage with this pissed-off look on his face, which interestingly kind of flips off between this kind of sad look and just this grim determination. But this is dark for Mega Man. What the actual hell? I know Mega Man X had just happened and had this whole, like, war is hell motif trying to be forced into the endings of it, but seeing that brought back into Mega Man 7, I completely forgot it happened that Mega Man legitimately was going to kill Dr. Wily. And now we get an ending where Mega Man's walking away from the fire like he's goddamn Sephiroth. What the hell?
So, how do I feel overall about Mega Man 7? It's weird. Like, don't get me wrong. I think Mega Man 7 is actually a very solid game. I think the weapons are generally fairly usable. Some of them are actually really good. And the fact that they weakened the Mega Buster for this game actually might have been a good thing because it really helped me want to use those weapons. And I did. And that's a lot of the fun of a Mega Man game is actually using the weapons because they're good. And for all of the shock that you would think seeing Mega Man moved into 16-bit but keeping his classic design would come with it, no, the game looks fantastic. It deliberately is not quite as sleek and shiny as Mega Man X is because they still want to keep the proportions and such of the classic Mega Man more or less. This game did, I think, just straight up benefit from the movement to a higher graphical fidelity. It looks great, it sounds great, it plays pretty solid as well. The only real big issues that I have with this game, aside from a couple of really obtuse secrets that Unlike in X2, we don't have a radar helmet to help us figure out where we need to go dig up the rocket arm to save ourselves 800 goddamn bolts, is that, again, the boss fights are... Not even all the boss fights, but, like, the Robot Masters specifically, most of them are not that fun of fights, especially with the consequence of using their actual weakness weapons being the fight gets worse. And not in, like, a difficulty way, just in an overall quality way. Plus, there's a lot of stuff that just gets conveyed through dialogue in this game that I think honestly could have been conveyed without dialogue. And, like, yes, they're moving towards using dialogue and have been since, like, we talked to Dr. Cossack about his daughter at the later part of Mega Man 4 and stuff. But stuff like choosing to get rid of the weapon demonstrations over just having Mega Man and Dr. Light talk about the weapons does feel like a step in a wrong direction, in a way. But none of this is to really say Mega Man 7 is a bad game. I can understand why people, especially back in the day, would have been like, what the hell is this? Because it is different in some ways. And it had to stand up against the fact that Mega Man X1 and X2 were out, and by the end of this year, Mega Man X3 would be out. By the way, I'm pretty sure that's our next game. But Mega Man 7 is a very, very solid entry, and I think that if you've been hearing bad things about it from Mega Man fans, and that's kept you off of playing it, I do think its reputation is way worse than the actual game, because the game itself is pretty good. I quite enjoyed it. And one thing I definitely did enjoy in this game is the soundtrack. There's a couple sound font choices here and there that I don't think are necessarily super amazing, but there's a lot of really good in the soundtrack that, because it's not going for a hard rock feel, sometimes feels like it has a little bit more in terms of variety than the Mega Man X games do, which I also really love. So here's three standouts. First is something that kind of does carry a very Mega Man X energy, but not in the way I think most people expect. Dr. Wily's Fortress Stage 1 feels like it is going for the same kind of effect as Sigma Stage 1, where... Yeah, you have some kind of, like, rock elements going on, but for the most part, this track is, like, it's very understated very early, and, like, takes its time ramping up to something that doesn't ever really quite reach traditional levels of Mega Man energy. It's just a lot of tension to it, and I love it.
For something that does have a more traditional Mega Man energy, I love Freeze Man's stage. This stage has like a bunch of like call and response type echoing added to it, both like in immediate small sections and like delayed sections that come back later. There's just all these kind of musical effects going on here that really add to the Arctic feeling of this stage in a way that I really enjoy. Finally, the stage that I want to highlight as my favorite is back in Wily's Fortress. It's Wily's Fortress Stage 2. My first thought upon listening to this track was that this was just a track from the Atlas RPG Shin Megami Tensei, because it really has an SMT1 vibe to it in its instrumentation and stuff. And then I listened to it some more and realized it's just a Michael Jackson track that was never actually released, isn't it? done with Mega Man 7. Next up on the docket, we will be hitting the other major Mega Man title that was released in 1995, slash 1996. We're going to tackle Mega Man X3, and I don't know exactly which version of the game I'm going to be playing, because X3 marks the first time that a Mega Man game was released on multiple consoles. So I think that'll be fun to investigate. In the meantime, if you'd like to get in touch, hit me up at whatamipodcastingfor at gmail.com. Stop by Twitter at whatamipodcast4, as in the number four. Hit up waipf.podbean.com for RSS feeds, latest episodes, whatever you need. Thanks for listening. I've been Garlisle, and please remember, Mega Man was seriously going to commit murder. What the f- While it's active, you get a really high-pitched... Oh god, that's probably going to record terribly.